The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to the post-Fairburn edition of Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times. And a lot to get to today, uh, Erie County Executive Mark Polencar's out at Highmark Stadium today with uh, Pagula Sports and Entertainment uh, Vice President Ron Rakuya to and uh, Erie County uh, Medical Chief uh, Dr. Gail Burstein to uh, talk about new mandates uh, for uh, vaccinations, uh, starting with the next game out uh, at Highmark Stadium. That's against Washington football team. Uh, Bills fans are going to have to show proof of at least one dose of the vaccination. And then uh, beginning on October 31st, fans are going to have to be fully vaccinated. No exceptions, no opt-outs, no medical or religious exemptions, nothing like that. Everybody has to be vaccinated, show proof. Uh, And really, it stems from Bills fans not being able to police themselves. Uh, The photos that everybody saw, the what we were able to see also from the press box, uh, according to Mark Polencar, is about 53% based on their research. They're surveying the people that they had in the crowds and, and doing um, canvassing. 53% of the people in attendance did not wear their masks when they were supposed to be wearing their masks. And you get to a point where it's too difficult to, um, to regulate 70,000 people once they're inside the gates. So now they're catching you at the door. And uh, if you don't get vaccinated, uh, I think it's it's only the Bills uh, fans have themselves to blame if they're upset with this. Um, anyway, Jonah, but your thoughts on this? I, we, we've talked about it before. Mark Polencarts tried to do this uh, unilaterally uh, a few months back where he said uh, you have to be vaccinated to attend. I think there was some legal things and the NFL maybe even dissuaded him from it. But now. The Bills are the fourth NFL team to go this route, and I'm sure they won't be the last. Well, I think it follows what President Biden announced last Thursday. I don't know if it was a policy or recommendation, but he had mentioned that large venues and sporting events should have vaccine requirements throughout the country. And so I think you should have seen this coming. I expected and talked to some people over the weekend that said this would be announced at some point before the next game at Highmark Stadium and that to expect it for uh, Key Bank Center. There has been nothing about other venues, college or high school games. I think it should be applied in some fashion. To it should all- be noted before we get too far along, because if you're just listening to this and you're just learning, this also is going to apply to Key Bank Center. Um, actually begins at Key Bank Center on September 25th with the Eric Church concert. I believe that that is you have to have one dose. But then that October 31st deadline uh, is when that moving forward to attend Sabres games or any event at, at Key Bank Center, you have to be fully vaccinated. Sorry to cut yeah, you off. I, I, just mean, I, to, I just wanted to set the whole the whole thing. 
I think it's good. I think it should have happened earlier, and uh, Mark Polinkar should not have backed down from his initial stance, even if they weren't able to enforce it. You know, Andrew Cuomo had said that Mark Polinkar didn't have the power to make that declaration. I don't know if he did or didn't, but the county should have stuck to its guns and said, we want everybody to be vaccinated in order to attend the games and, you know, push back against the state, especially since Andrew Cuomo is not even the governor anymore. But it's good, you know, there was only one game, one or two games, one preseason game and one regular season game that did not have this vax policy. And there'll be one game where it's a little bit looser. You don't have to be fully vaccinated to attend. I think for all venues and public gatherings of a large number of people throughout the country and locally, there should be some sort of policy like this in place. And I don't see it as a way to force people to get vaccinated, although it will have that effect because I'm somewhat sympathetic to some vaccine hesitant people and at least their feelings and why they are afraid to get the vaccine certain segments of the population and, and people under 12 that aren't able to get vaccinated. However, uh, we have to ensure that when you go out in public, if you go to a sporting event or a restaurant or a mall or a movie theater, that that's a safe environment or at least as safe an environment as it can be and requiring everybody to be vaccinated or masked or tested. I think there should be a little bit more of that in the policy, but requiring everybody to be vaccinated to walk into Key Bank Center protects and uh, puts people at ease that are coming in. And now you know that the person sitting next to you is vaccinated or that you know the air in the arena is safer than it would be if there was not a policy like that in place. I, I noticed that at the Bills game, you might be in the press box we all wear a mask, but you pull it down a little bit to drink coffee or eat or, you know, let your nose breathe a little bit. And you'd be a lot more comfortable if you knew that the two people sitting next to you were vaccinated, but we don't know. Some pe There are some vaccine policies in place, but you don't know for sure that everybody at that stadium uh, in your suite or in your press box or in your vicinity is vaccinated. And now going forward, you are going to have uh, more reassurance in that regard. And as Mark Polonkar has explained, uh, the end game here is that since you're not going to wear your masks inside Highmark Stadium, since you refuse as Bills fans, we do this and then you don't have to wear your mask. So it's not as though once you're in the stadium, you still have to mask up and social distance and all that stuff. This is because it's necessary and they can't police 70,000 people wearing a mask. So the trade-off here is that you're vaccinated, you can attend the game, and then once you're inside or whatever, you don't have to wear your mask. Um, and so there's a benefit there. Um, so for what do you need to know? If you're a Bills fan or a Sabres fan, uh, you need to have proof of vaccination in one of the following four ways. The physical vaccination card, you can't have a photocopy. Number two, the New York State Excelsior Pass, where you have your vaccination card. You can show it there on your phone uh, with the app. Uh, there's the clear digital vax card. I'm not entirely familiar with that app because I have the Excelsior Pass. My guess is that's a national version of, of New York's um, um, document, uh, document app. Uh, and that, or an official out-of-state digital vax card. So if you're coming from Pennsylvania or Ohio to come to the game, uh, which a lot of people do. They come from out of town. They have season tickets. Uh, you have your, you need to have your, um, you can use your official out of state digital vax card. If you don't want to bring your, your proof of uh, vaccination on the, on the physical card, 
And uh, polling cars did uh, make it a point to say that they will be doing random checks on the authenticity of the physical cards and that if you're caught, it is a class D felony, you will be prosecuted. So um, you can you can scoff at it and try to get around it, which is, I, I guess, your right to do. I, fans do it all the time. Think of all the bans that there are with uh, fans who threw something on the field, thinking about the uh, the guys who tossed the dildo on the field at Tom Brady. And then I did a follow-up story on them a couple of years later, and they said they're, they're still going to the games, even though the NFL banned them. You got to get caught. Uh, but you're, you're running a risk uh, of, you know, getting a fake, getting a fake document uh, that you're probably going to have to pay for, uh, come into the stadium, risk getting bounced, um, forfeiting a valuable ticket that maybe you could have sold if you, if you wanted, if you weren't, didn't want to get vaccinated uh, for something that you can get for free, uh, which is uh, you have to be really determined and committed uh, to not, uh, to not do that. But anyway, um, it doesn't, it doesn't seem overwrought. It doesn't seem, uh, to be too heavy handed. It's, and it's, it's not your, as I had to remind a fan on, on Twitter today, it is neither your constitutional nor biblical right to attend a sporting event. So do you want to talk about tyranny or, uh, your rights being infringed upon bullshit? And this isn't the first community or stadium to set this policy. And I think you'll, and this isn't the first time in your life that you've needed to be vaccinated to do something, you know, think about something such as attending a school. Right. And, you know, it's not only about going into the game and sitting in the stands or walking around the concourses, people uh, driving cars together and tailgate together. And as the weather turns, uh, there's some evidence that the virus is more transmissible in the cold, drier air that, that we'll see in the fall and winter, as opposed to right now. Um, being outdoors is probably safer, but we don't know with these new variants whether it's totally safe to be unmasked around people outdoors. And also, even if you are vaccinated, um, we're seeing a lot of breakthrough cases, so it's still important to have layered protection strategies to still use masks and testing and ventilation and things like that. But the vaccine seems to be the most uh, effective way to control the virus. And we need more people to get vaccinated, especially younger people and those that aren't able to now or teenagers that are falling behind in the vaccination rates. And we need to know that when you go into environments with a lot of other people, that the people around you are vaccinated and that will have at least some positive effect on uh, whether you will transmit the virus or catch the virus from somebody else. Yeah, there is a uh, another a qualifier uh, to the policy. You just mentioned uh, teenagers lagging behind in their vaccinations. This is for fans 12 and older. Uh, they cannot expect a fan 12 or, or I should say younger than 12 to have been vaccinated because those aren't administered yet. So um, I guess if, if you do come to the game with children and they are not 12 years old yet, uh, they do not have to show proof of vaccination but you as the adult do have to be vaccinated uh, or, uh, uh, or you can't go. Um, I wanted to add something else fan related to the discussion. I want to get your thoughts, Jonah, on crowd noise uh, because uh, the Bills had fans for the first time, or I should say capacity stadium for the first time since 2019. And I think 
at times, Josh Allen uh, showed those jitters. In fact, he admitted it after the game, said he was feeling things uh, at his feet a little bit. Uh, he was a, a bit um, a bit uneasy, and I think a lot of that had to do with the offensive line play also. But he's notoriously tightly wound, uh, and having those fans, big game, season opener, all the expectations, new contract, you know, that's it's kind of – Part of the fun of Josh Allen is that he does get so emotional. Um, but after the game, he admitted he got a little perhaps uh, too worked up at times. Both uh, Sean McDermott and Brian Dable mentioned it on their news conferences uh, on Monday. Um, I, just your thought on that concept of crowd noise being an issue at home. Yeah, I think that's a Josh Allen problem, not a fan problem. Josh Allen's the one with the quarter billion dollar contract now and the fans are paying their money to be at the stadium. And if they want to make noise, you're mostly encouraged to make noise. Um, now fans can be a little bit smarter about when the offense has the ball. That's not always the best time to be as loud as possible, but in one specific instance, when the crowd was in such a lather and roaring after that opening kickoff return, and then Josh Allen was telling them to be quiet. I mean, I think, the first time that that stadium's full in two years and the excitement over this game and this team, I think you have to expect that there's going to be that kind of roar from the crowd and adjust to it, either whether that's Josh Allen learning how to play better with a large crowd at home or perhaps maybe do a running play on that first play to kind of get the crowd back in its seats and things like that. And you mentioned off the air that some stadiums uh, do some things where reminding the fans that now is the time to pipe down when the offense has the yeah, ball. Yeah, I've seen it uh, most notably in Indianapolis when Peyton Manning was the quarterback there, and I believe they do it also in Pittsburgh. They will use a themed, you know, they'll have a couple of orange uh, barrels up with the flashing yellow light and the tape or something and a hard hat, and it will say quiet offense at work, uh, and that is the dominant thing on the scoreboard to pretty much say it's <laughs> quiet down so these guys can make their calls that's home field advantage the fans are supposed to be loud when the defense is out there they're supposed to settle down when the offense is out there and not a maybe it is a knock on bills fans but i'll say i guess as a little advice bills fans fancy themselves as being the best in sports now we know that's not true cuz they're you know like how do you really qualify that yes they're up there i get it i mean i'm not saying that you know that they're the same in um arizona uh as they are uh, in buffalo buffalo obviously has incredibly rabid fans uh that are notorious and proud of how much they party before the games. Uh, you don't by mean the way, they actually Mar have rabies, right? I don't believe so. I mean, if it, especially not the ones who are willing to get vaccinated. I think October 31st on, we can assume that they don't they aren't actually rabid. Um, but I, I do want to point out one of the things that Mark Polencar said during the news conference today was uh, he was asked, uh, would you do you know, pregame shots like the Raiders were doing in Las Vegas yesterday? They showed uh, some of those uh, photos. Uh, of uh, fans who to get into the game where it's mandatory in, in Las Vegas to at least have one of the shots, they have these little pop-up clinics and Poland cars response was we've considered it, but we don't want to get in the business of administering a shot or any kind of medical attention to somebody who's inebriated and demanding the shot, because he says, then it's potential consent. 
Right. And somebody oh. after the fact, and this is me filling yeah. in, uh, it, it is that somebody after the fact could say I was coerced into getting the vaccine, the vaccine. Uh, I was drunk. Uh, the county took advantage of me <laughs> and gave me the shot. Um, but anyway, all right. So, but that was a little uh, tangent. But to finish up the point well, regarding Bills fans, it if they want to be the smartest or if they want to be the best fans in sports, they might want to consider actually heeding Josh Allen's advice and quieting down when the when when the offense is on the field. Well, and to to answer that last point, I do think they should figure out ways. Maybe it works a lot better downtown at the arena than at the stadium, but they should figure out ways to incorporate vaccine clinics with these large public gatherings. And if you need the vaccine, Hey, we got it here for you. Maybe there's you, you oh, right across the street at the ECC South. They give it away for free. Okay. It's one yeah, of the, so, you know, so it's literally right across the street. So, okay. Then maybe they don't need one at the football gates, but I do think that there should be some thought in looking into how other stadiums and other cities and other sports have done that to success and find ways to use attending the game as a carrot to get people vaccinated and certain people that maybe don't know where to go or don't know how to get the vaccine, make it easier for them if uh, their Bills fandom is what motivates them to now get the vaccine. Uh, back to the point about the crowd noise, you know, it reminds me, and we're talking about the arena, you know, meaning hockey, it, it reminds me a little bit of the, um, the power play that's slumping or when a team uh, is, um, you know, his team is struggling to win games. And I can't remember the number of times I had this discussion with Lindy Ruff over the years and different slumps, even on the good teams and, um, and players too, not just Lindy Ruff. They would say in these moments, it's going to be good to get away from home, you know, because they get on the road, the whole belief that you're trying to really perform for your fans. Uh, maybe you make the extra pass. You try to go for the fancy play. You dangle a little bit rather than just getting the puck on net. And uh, even those really good Sabres teams, uh, that was a, a criticism that the players would have and their coach of themselves that, you know, we, we need to, you know, just tighten it up and play a little bit more of a straightforward game. Um, and maybe we saw a little bit of that in, in the opener of trying to get too fancy, the flea flicker, the fourth down decisions, um, getting cute. Uh, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I don't think I'm belaboring a point. I, and I, no, I don't think you are, but I think it's a lame excuse. And if that was, oh, for sure, it's a lame excuse. Any poor performance or coaching decisions, then the Bills need to look in the mirror and figure out how they can perform better at home in front of large crowds and not at all blame the crowds or expect that something will be different because they're never going to play a game in an empty stadium again. Maybe not never, but we don't really see that happening again. So they have to learn how to play. Uh, with crowd noise on the road and at home. And maybe that's something you do in practice. The crowd noise factor is different at home than it is on the road, but it's still a factor and they need to figure out how to adjust to it. Yeah, the holding penalties on the offensive line. I mean, it wasn't like it was false starts. There was only one false start from the Bills. It was Emmanuel Sanders late in the game. Holding calls, I don't think you can attribute uh, to crowd noise. Um, Josh Allen fumbling twice, I don't think you can attribute to crowd noise. But I think the general atmosphere and probably you know if any players had trouble sleeping on Saturday night you know getting to the stadium might even have added some stress I, I would like to have 
you know, if this were typical uh, media access after a game, it's something I probably would have asked a few players at their lockers, but uh, we, we only got to talk to a handful of players that they bring out to the, uh, to the podium. Uh, and uh, I would like to have known how many people were stressed out that they were going to get to the stadium in time for warmups, you know, or to the, be out, you know, and all that stuff. Pre-game routines could have been. Traffic was terrible. And I do think you made a good point when you were talking about the power play that maybe the, I don't want to say pressure, but the desire to perform for the home fans got in the Bills' heads a little bit. Maybe this wasn't the time to be playing catch with fans before the game and thinking about your celebrations and what you're going to do to rile up the fans and pander to the fans. This, you know, focus on what you need to do on the field, whether there's fans there or not, and not worry so much about uh, playing to the crowd. What were your main takeaways just off of the game? Crowd noise notwithstanding. Um, anticipated for all of us. Um, you know, we don't ha- we're not necessarily emotionally invested, but we were looking forward to getting into the press box and covering football and, and seeing what this 2021 Bills team is all about against a good opponent. But the Bills were favored by six and a half points. Well, my biggest takeaway was that a lot of us underestimated Pittsburgh and maybe in the betting line and people that didn't think that they were going to pose much of a challenge in this game. This was a team that was 11 and 0 to start last season has been good every year, going back several seasons uh, had was really reeling with injuries and just their season kind of falling apart last year when they came here and played. And that game was a very close game that Josh Allen didn't play very well in and they needed uh, a defensive touchdown to really pull away and seal that game. And I don't think it should have been all that surprising that Pittsburgh came out and played well, had a really good game plan, saw a lot of the Bills' plays and wrinkles coming, and won this game. I think Pittsburgh won the game as much or more than the Bills lost the game. But one of the big reasons why the Bills were favored by six and a half is that belief that Ben Roethlisberger doesn't have it anymore. And I don't think he showed much. He was, he did just enough to win. Yes. He got hot late in the game, which is what you should expect from a veteran quarterback who's headed to the hall of fame. Um, But it certainly wasn't that I think, yeah, the Steelers defense really, and and unforced errors, you know, the bills doing uh, not only committing those penalties, but those holds, many of them wiped out first downs, wiped out double-digit gains. And, um, you know, that's why this one's on the offense. Ben Roethlisberger is older and probably doesn't have as much arm strength as he had a few years back. However, he was pretty good for the first half of last season, and he ended up dealing with some injuries, playing through maybe some injuries that weren't talked about a lot or, you know, didn't knock him out of games. And he's I think he's gotten – he's adjusted to being – an older quarterback and managing the game more than winning the game with his arm. And if you look at him, I always kind of look at how much, you know, look at his jowls, how, how fat his face is really <laughs> to kind of tell you how good he's going to play that season. And he looks in shape and looks like um, maybe he wants to prove that he's not done. And I think in week one, you're probably going to see a better Ben Roethlisberger than you might've seen in week 14 or whatever that was when he came here last right. year. The one thing I was surprised is that I thought if the Steelers were going to win the game, that it would be more because of their ability to run the ball in the Bills' run defense. And the, they did not run the ball very well. That's not why the Steelers beat the Bills. So I was a little surprised that that wasn't the main factor in, in why the Steelers were able to move the ball and score points. The Steelers have very good wide receivers. And Ben Roethlisberger doesn't throw it very far or throw it very hard, 
but he gets the ball out quick and into his wide receiver's hands and they make plays. And the Bills had some trouble covering those wide receivers and keeping them from making those plays even when they were covered. Yeah, very much a game manager type performance from Ben Roethlisberger. 18 of 32, only 188 yards. He was sacked twice, threw that one touchdown uh, pass late. Uh, he was not intercepted. Um, and you mentioned the run game. Uh, Najee Harris, a pretty cool stat for him, especially as a rookie in his NFL, uh, NFL debut, played 100% of the snaps. Running backs don't do that, let alone rookie running backs. 100% of the offensive snaps, but uh, 16 carries for only 45 yards. Bills did a really good job containing him. Uh, you take away Chase Claypool's uh, end around for 25 yards, and uh, the Steelers had a dismal day running the ball. And Ben Roethlisberger was not flashy at all, yet still enough to win the game because of all of the uh, the mistakes that the Bills made. And can't obviously, I, I think the offense was the biggest concern for Buffalo, but the block punt. You know, um, that was the play. Of the that's game. a killer. If that doesn't happen, I think the Bills might have won the game. That was obviously huge on the scoreboard, and it was a huge momentum play at a time when it put the Bills behind by maybe too many points to come back from with however many minutes were left in the fourth quarter. If that happened in the second or third quarter, uh, Buffalo would have had more time to make up the deficit. But happening when it did, how it did, really – and plays like that, usually the team that makes that play wins the game in the same way that uh, the pick six in many ways won the game for the Bills last year against the Pittsburgh, might have won the game for the Bills against Baltimore in the playoff in a way. But also I think Josh Allen missing the deep throws to Emmanuel Sanders were huge factors in the game. If he hits one of those, um, one, they score a touchdown. Two, his numbers look a lot better, and it's a much better game for Josh Allen with a 50-yard completion and a touchdown added on to what he did. And Pittsburgh, as well as they played, probably couldn't have scored 30, 40 points in the game. So if the Bills were able to play as well offensively as they did at the end of last year, I don't think Pittsburgh would have been able to keep up even with that block punt. Yeah, big uh, big rebounds for the Bills this week. Uh, they go to uh, Miami Gardens where they will play the Dolphins on Sunday, a division game. I wonder what the pressure is. Uh, Dolphins, a uh, pretty hard-fought game, a defensive battle with the New England Patriots in week one. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if, uh, if the Bills carry in pressure uh, into that game. However, the Bills have really ragdolled the Dolphins uh, in, uh, in recent years. Um, pro you know, even one of the losses uh, should have been a victory uh, when Charles Clay drops that that pass in the end zone after Josh Allen made such a, a magnificent effort to scramble and, and unload a ball on the final play down there uh, in, uh, in Miami gardens. So you know, we'll talk more about that. Speaking of a bounce back week, you know, who needs one is Joel Staniszewski. Yikes. Um, we'll get more into that uh, on Friday with Joel, but uh, maybe you should stop picking the bills. I think that's its fatal flaw. Well, he was one and one on his bills picks. And it was all downhill from there. So um, we'll, we'll check Joel's pulse uh, on Friday. Actually, I probably should check Joel's pulse today. Uh, I should have called I should have reached out to him yesterday to make sure he was all right. Um, but he'll come back. He, he's too good. Uh, it might take him a couple of weeks to get back to even, uh, but uh, I'm confident we'll get there. Uh, Jonah, UB, 
another bounce back uh, theme uh, here. Uh, your thoughts on, on their next game? Well, they play Coastal Carolina, who's ranked 16th in the country. It'll be the first time in seven years that a ranked team comes and play at UB Stadium. And UB's only beaten one ranked team before, and that was Ball State in the 2008 MAC championship game. So it's a, it's a challenge for UB coming off a game at Nebraska when they didn't play very well and didn't perform as well as you know, I and some others maybe thought they would have in that matchup. But coming back home, uh, maybe learning a few things from that loss in Nebraska, I think you'll see maybe a more competitive showing. But this is a challenge, and they're 10-point underdogs. And one of the things I took away from that game, and maybe this is reading a little bit too much into it, is that, you know, UB didn't play a non-conference schedule last year. They didn't play any Power 5 teams or, or really challenging games outside of the conference other than the bowl game. And maybe would they have been a top 25 team if they had Nebraska on the schedule early last season? And maybe was last year a little bit of a mirage in the way the schedule set up for them to have such success and be nationally ranked. And I, I don't think it takes away from the season that they had last year, but it makes you question, you know, they're not going to be ranked at any point in this season now. Maybe if they went on and won about eight in a row and got to nine and one, maybe they start to get that recognition. But I don't think even beating Coastal Carolina at home this week would put them in that position with such a heavy loss on their schedule against a Nebraska team that's also not ranked. So it, I don't know. It, it took a little bit of the steam out of how good this program is and where it's going, but they still can have an excellent year in the max season, but it's a lot harder to envision them beating Coastal Carolina now with the way they played at Nebraska on Saturday. Interesting wrinkle. We talked about it uh, last week regarding Coastal Carolina and it's, it's, it's back-to-back games. Uh, they just played Kansas and uh, former UB coach Lance Leipold. So in game planning for that, I'm sure they were really dissecting nothing but UB film. So uh, yes, new coaching staff with Mo Linguist and he's doing different things than Lance Leipold would would it be doing or had, had done last season, but a lot of the same players. So I just think it's interesting uh, that Coastal Carolina kind of has a little bit of a scouting edge into this game, uh, having having an extra week uh, to prepare. Right, but you also wonder, and I asked Mo Linguist about this today, and, and he said it wouldn't really be a factor in their preparation, but how much can they learn from Kansas, uh, knowing that coaching staff and the plays that they run and some players on that Kansas team that were playing here in Buffalo, how much can they look at what worked and what didn't work for Kansas and apply that to what UB does and how they can uh, learn from Kansas's performance. And I don't know, he, he seems to indicate that the coaching staff won't reach out to Kansas coaches to get a scouting report, but maybe some players can do that on their own. Or maybe you can just look at the film and say, Hey, they ran that play that we used to run and this is how it worked or didn't work. And this is how we'll, apply that to our matchup here against Coastal Carolina. My big thing to look at is I thought UB looked like, you know, in many years you would expect them to look against a Big Ten team, that you could see the difference in recruiting. You know, there was a linebacker, I'm forgetting his name right now, but I think Reimer might have been the name, on Nebraska who had a great game. And his only Division One offer was from Buffalo, Lance Leipold. And he ends up walking on at Nebraska. And that kind of shows you the caliber of player that even on a bad Big Ten team, a caliber of recruit, I should say. Their walk-ons are UB recruits. Right, right. And, and so does 
does that same thing apply to Coastal Carolina, who's a big South Conference team, but they're number 16 in the country. They were ranked most all of last year. Do they have power five level athletes or they have sort of a, a closer matchup with UB in terms of athletes and talent? And maybe that helps UB because there's a lot of things I saw from UB that looked like this worked against Wagner and it's not working against Nebraska. And you bridge, can you bridge that gap a little bit playing against a big South opponent, even the best team in the big South and also playing at home. I think that will help you be a bit. Yeah. And um, you know, coastal Carolina has been good for a relatively short period of time. Yes. They've kind of established themselves, uh, you know, as a, you know, 15 to 20, you know, whatever they're a mid range, but a really good mid mid conference, mid-level conference team. Um, but they haven't done it for a long time. It's not as though it's a legacy program like Nebraska and the conference is different and all that stuff. But um, I'll be very yeah. eager to see the crowd as much as anything and how big it is and how much does it help you be? Does it hurt them? Like maybe they would if Josh Allen was the UB quarterback, but there was only 13,000 people at the opener and there was a huge student turnout and the, the UB opener tends to get, closer to 20,000 every year because it's usually on a Thursday night before the bills start playing and it's a nice night, nice weather. And I thought that crowd was a bit smaller than it had been than I was expecting, but now you get a ranked opponent. Will that lead to more attendance from the general public? They're probably still going to get a ton of students. And if it doesn't, I wonder what that means. Cause I've been wondering what the fan and community response would be to this UB team this year after the success they had last year with no fans in the stands. Did they convert some people into UB fans that weren't really into the program before last season? And now they got a new coach with a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, I'm wondering how that will factor into attendance and just the overall atmosphere at UB Stadium on Saturday. That game, it kicks off at noon on Saturday, and it will be shown on ESPN2. Uh, if you're not going to go to the game, I would say that a great place to go watch it would be uh, Amherst Pizza and Ale House with all the TVs and everything that they have. And uh, it's near the stadium or it's a great place to go before or after. If you are going to attend the game, uh, Amherst Pizza and Ale House with all those televisions, both inside and outside on the patio. Uh, ESPN.com once called it a great place to watch the games. And when it was picking all the local bars and all the different towns, the places you want to go, ESPN.com singled out Amherst Pizza and Ale House uh, for takeout or delivery during the week, which I'm wont to do. 716-625-7100. I'll give it to you again. 716-625-7100. Amherst Pizza and Ale House, which also, by the way, Jonah, should be noted. I'm going to go ahead and declare it for everyone out there right now. I think, I think it's, uh, we can call it, and the results are in, we can call it, that uh, will be uh, Tim Graham and perhaps Jonah Bronstein's uh, post-game Bills location uh, for the rest of the season. Sunday nights, yeah. Sunday nights after the game, Amherst Pizza and Ale House. Um, great Willing food. to give it a shot. Great we'll see beers. how they treat us. Uh, particular I, customers on Sunday night. Yeah, that's true. I, I think we'll be okay. I think we'll be all right. I like our chances. Um, there was something else I was going to mention uh, before we sign off here. Oh, I guess what I was going to ask you regarding UB, you mentioned that you talked to Mo Linguist today. What else stood out uh, in your conversation? Anything else to note well, without giving away uh, whatever story you're writing? 
Well, so it was the weekly press conference, and I'm covering uh, Saturday's game for the Associated Press because Coastal Carolina is ranked, and I was a bit more focused on Coastal Carolina and some of the thoughts he had about their personnel. And John Warrow was there. He's writing the advance. So I, I don't know if I'll write any sort of advance story. Maybe I'll come up with something. But, you know, I, I, my takeaway from today's press conference with Mo Linguist is that uh, UB's licking their wounds a little bit. I think they think that they should have performed better, that some penalties hurt them on Saturday, and they're hoping to play better. I don't know if that's going to come across with a win, but I think that they are going to try to win the game, of course. But if they can be more competitive and be have a better chance to win the game and have it be a closer game in the fourth quarter, I think that that will give them a lot of confidence and uh, give people watching the team a lot more confidence and belief in how good they can be going into the max season. Jonah Bronstein, I, I believe that this was one of our most solid shows, uh, condensed a little bit, only two voices instead of three, but I think we, UB needs to recover. The Bills offense needs to recover. I think Bills fans need to recover. There, there's a lot of adjustments that need to be made. A lot of um, inward reflection needs to happen. And I think that Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK has adjusted rather smoothly here without Matthew Fairburn. He's going to be back, by the way. He texted uh, while we were recording here. Uh, he was invited to come on today, but he's, he's moving back and forth. He was at New England uh, on Sunday. He drove back yesterday. He's, you know, he's trying to find a place to live out there. He has an open invitation. He's going to join us when he can. But sadly, I think that the historians are going to look back uh, and, and note that the Matthew Fairburn era uh, at, at Tim Graham and Friends brought to by CTBK is over. Um, and um, this, this will be known as the first post-Fairburn show. I think we did okay. I think we did okay. And you know what? We survived the end of the Joe Licata era and the end of the Mike Rodek era. We did. And I think we'll survive the end of the Matt Fairburn era. But hopefully he will. He's still an F. So hopefully he will still come on and F with us a little bit. And if we can get him on later in the week, he can give us a good scout on the Dolphins because he just saw them play live. That's the beauty of uh, Matthew Fairburn staying in the AFC East. There is going to be so much overlap. And I think that until the Bills, you know, win another division or two, maybe just one more division title, you know, as long, no, scratch that. As long as Bill Belichick is coaching the New England Patriots, the Patriots are always, always at the forefront of Bill's fans' minds when it comes to competition. Um, Got to win the division. You should be thinking about the Patriots and the Dolphins, maybe even more so than the Kansas City Chiefs right now. But um, Well, we talked about this last year, and it might be more prescient this year, that maybe the Dolphins have taken over the Patriots' spot as the Bills' biggest competition in the division and uh, reigniting that rivalry. And, you know, this will be the first matchup this season where we can see if that comes to be true. The Dolphins Jones, need to beat the Bills for that to happen. Mac Jones looked good, though. Mac Jones looked good in his NFL debut, um, and I, I, it's way too early to extrapolate based off of one game, but it's a possibility that Mac Jones could be a really good quarterback. And as he evolves, you know, then the Patriots obviously get better because uh, they're, they're clearly leaning on uh, their defense at the moment. If Mac Jones turns into a serviceable quarterback quickly, 
then uh, they're certainly in play uh, for the for uh, postseason uh, contention. Uh, Jonah, thanks for this. And uh, to everyone listening, thank you for checking out Tim Graham and Friends, uh, brought to you by CTBK, CPA and Business Consultants. I urge you uh, to please subscribe to TGAF uh, on your platform of choice. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on Spotify. We are on SoundCloud, uh, video on YouTube. Uh, subscribe to all of it or one of them or, or none of them. But thank you for listening to this one, at least. Until next time. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you.